This just in. Aaron Rodgers bought a tube of toothpaste. Aaron Rodgers, I'm told, has received permission to speak with the Jets. According to my sources. This is Rodgers Watch 2023 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. When it comes to me, they don't know feel like we've been talked about our guy Aaron in quite some time, which has been okay. Yeah, it's nice. It's been refreshing. It's been nice. A little breather. Thought we'd kind of check in with you, though, and find out where we are. I mean, he still wants to play for the Jets. The Jets and Packers still have not made any announcements. What's going on? Well, now he's starting to get advice from others uh, in the sporting <laughs> world, including Rick Patino. Remember the old basketball oh, coach, Rick wow. Patino? Yeah, I do. Well, he's been introduced as the new head coach at St. John's, and that's, of course, right there in New York City. you got to play yeah. hard if you're going to be a... Coach or player of any kind in, yep. in the state of New York. and New York is not patient. I, I learned that as a Nick coach. Patience is not a virtue in New York. It has to be done right away. So whether you're the coach of the Yankees, coach of the Knicks, coach of the Rangers, coach of the Islanders, it does coach of the Giants and the Jets, you realize you have to do it right away. Aaron Rodgers is going to find out very soon. Yeah, good to get a little advice there from Rick Patino. That's the guy you need to be getting your advice <laughs> yeah, from. Yeah, that guy's isn't a it? disaster, actually. I grew up in Louisville. He was an embarrassment to me. So. Yes. Yeah, he, uh, unfortunately. He embarrassed himself right out of that job, as yeah. a matter sure of fact. Sure did. And, yeah. uh, and, and of... left a stain on that yeah, university. Yes. Yeah, and many other things. So that's, that's a different story for another time. Yeah, good point, Greg. Uh, but the, the big news to me is, uh, is the trade here now. This is somewhat breaking news here in the NFL. The Jets have traded a wide receiver, Elijah Moore. Thought to potentially be a, a piece to the puzzle in Green Bay as part of a trade for Aaron Rodgers. They acquire a wide receiver via free agency called me. His name is Mecole Hardman. But then they trade a draft pick. A third rounder goes to the Browns for a second rounder uh, as part of this whole deal. So now all of a sudden the Jets have picks number 42 and 43 overall. Both those picks are in the second round. The Packers own pick number 45. Okay. It's possible they could have all three of those picks when the draft begins. So uh, this might be just adding draft capital, trying to make their draft pool a little bit more compelling to swing a potential trade. It also tells me that uh, the idea of a number one coming to Green Bay, at least this year's number one, is all but off the table. I'd be surprised if a number one got to Green Bay as part of the Rodgers deal. Uh, But keep an eye. The Jets keep making moves while the Packers keep losing players to free agency. I just don't want the Packers to settle. I don't want, and I don't even know for sure what that looks like, but I don't want us at the end to feel like they caved. They felt like they had to get rid of them. They got the best they could, and it wasn't great, and it wasn't good enough. I, they have more leverage than the Jets. I feel like they do as well. And this week, just to keep all things on the table, this is a huge week for scouts and GMs to attend pro days all across yeah. the country. Right, Brian Gutekunst might be in Madison tomorrow. I think he was at Auburn the other day. Right, they're they're all over the place right now for pro days leading up to the draft. So it might be a quiet week with regard to move transactions, especially one that's presumably this big uh, because of other things that are going on. All right. Thanks for keeping on top of it for us. It's 413 at WTMJ. One of the top generals during the war in Iraq 20 years ago was from Wisconsin. My conversation with General Brian Winsky up next. Twenty years ago this week, the invasion of Iraq took place, or as the military likes to call it, the liberation of Iraq. Twenty years ago, March 2003, is when that happened. The 101st Airborne was one of the units that first went into Iraq and went actually up to Baghdad. They were the big dogs that went in and tried to eventually take Saddam and his empire down, and they successfully did that. One of the guys in charge, the number two person in the heralded 101st Airborne, was General Brian Winsky. He is a Kenosha native, 
And I had the chance yesterday to catch up with Winsky to talk about the reflection 20 years ago after his units went into Iraq. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Thanks, Senator Beer. Boy, one of the leaders of the 101st Airborne when we went into Iraq. As you think back 20 years later, what are the lessons that are at the top of the list of things that we learned as a country and as a military from Iraq? Yeah, where does 20 years go? You know, uh, I was uh, the executive officer of an infantry battalion in the 101st for the invasion, and uh, our main fights were in Najaf, Karbala, a little bit west of Baghdad, and then ultimately up in Mosul, where we spent the remainder Mm -hmm. of that year. Uh, If I had to capture some of the lessons, um, you know, our soldiers are phenomenal. You know, no mission too difficult. Uh, whatever task you give them, they accomplish it. And then some, uh, we didn't have a lot of combat veterans, but they were well-trained. They were well-led. They had great equipment, and they knew what to do. And every single time that we got in a fight, uh, they prevailed. So that was one of the things, just the added confidence of what we suspected and now knew in terms of the performance of our soldiers and how capable they are and how exceptionally courageous they are, etc. On the downside, I'd say, you know, in retrospect, uh, and even at the time, um, you know, the flawed strategic decision-making has always concerned me about, uh, you know, good good strategic decision-making is gathering all the facts, the assumptions, the data bearing on the problem, identifying the problem, and coming to a conclusion. It seemed like we, as a nation, came to the conclusion that we're going to eject and remove Saddam Hussein and invade Iraq. Now let's assemble all the facts bearing on that, the data mm-hmm. to build the case to do what we decided. So 91 yeah. Wisconsin service members died during our time in Iraq. I spoke to the family of one of them two weeks ago who still struggles with, was it the right decision to go? The grief is incredible even right. 12 years later for this family. What do you say to families who lost a loved one over there who are still struggling with, yeah. my goodness, what happened over there? You know. Uh, 91 lost from Wisconsin, 4,400 total uh, across the joint force, and over 30,000 wounded, some of which were life-altering, grievous wounds. Um, You know, is Iraq in the long, long term better uh, than it would have been under Saddam Hussein's leadership or his sons, which were even probably more extreme and tyrannical? Uh, Yes. Is... uh, you know, what we did worth it. Everybody's got to kind of reflect on that. Um, I think it was. Um, I know all the soldiers that, uh, you know, were wounded and died, died for their buddy, protecting their buddy. Uh, that's the fundamental uh, hierarchy of purpose and loyalty in that type of situation. Um, almost unanimously, anybody I talked to, uh, when asked would they do it all over again, they certainly would. I'm certainly in that category. Um, you know, way back then, I kind of thought, uh, hey, at least my children aren't going to have to do this. And sure enough, my kids are all in the Army now, and they've all been to Afghanistan, and one's in the Middle East uh, still. Um, So to those families, nothing can assuage their loss, nothing whatsoever. And they're going to feel that pain for all of their days. Um, But, you know, again, I know they they perished protecting their buddy and fighting for their buddy, and... uh, And that's what it kind of boils down to. Was it the right decision to leave Iraq when and how we did? Yeah, I was there when we left. And, uh, you know, in that 2011 time frame, um, the Iraqi security forces were on a solid footing. Um, But as soon as we left, you saw uh, political influences, mainly backed by Iran, uh, removing a lot of the effective Iraqi leadership. And then fast forward to 2014, ISIS saw that. They amassed capability in north and east, northeast Syria. And they saw that the Iraqi security forces were in all likelihood not going to fight in a determined way. 
and with a far numerically smaller force, they were able to retake Mosul and Nineveh, and the Iraqi security forces up there uh, folded. Um, that reintroduced U.S. troops um, that remain there today uh, to help them recover from that, to, to address that fundamental flaw of poor leadership and get the right leadership in charge of these units and eventually retake uh, Iraq. But the fight against ISIS is not over. It continues in, uh, in Iraq, uh, in northern Syria, and uh, across that region and really across the globe. General Brian Winsky is with us. You're a graduate of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, ROTC there. How did that shape and form you, those years yeah. you spent at university here? Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pr proud to have grown up in Milwaukee. When my wife and I decided we were going to retire from the Army, it was a no-brainer that we were going to come back home. Uh, grew up here, was always drawn to service, uh, always inspired by veterans like George Banda that we're going to be sitting with, um, you know, the Vietnam era especially. But at that time, there were a lot of World War II and Korea veterans. So always inspired by their service, was drawn to service early on. Um, my, my quickest path to, to serve in uniform was through the Army Reserve, so I joined the Army Reserve here. While I was still in high school, I went to basic training between my junior and senior year. I loved it. I was drawn, and frankly, that was my only viable path to college, the GI Bill and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and avenues that the Army provided through ROTC. So I started at UWM, enrolled in ROTC. I enjoyed it. I just really thrived in that environment. Um, and, you know, I was always told and I always thought if you like something, if you love something, if you have a passion for something and you're fairly good at it, mm -hmm. you're probably on a good path. And that was me with the Army. And, uh, you know, I came on active duty in the regular Army in 1989 and just retired a couple of years ago and uh, never had a bad assignment. I mean, it was just a fulfilling, rewarding, incredible career that I'm uh, very proud of. So, General, your influence is obvious when you talk about your own family, and you referenced this earlier. You have a son and a daughter who are U.S. Army officers. That must make you awfully proud. I, I'm incredibly proud of them. Um, you know, the love of my life is Kimberly. The pride of my life is uh, Andrew and Catherine, and Catherine's husband is also in the Army. They both fly helicopters uh, down at Fort Campbell. Um, incredibly proud of them. Um, you know, I think they grew up in the Army. They see that it's an organization filled with folks who volunteer to serve our country and protect our way of life. They see it's a values-based organization. Uh, and I'm a little bit concerned that a lot of America doesn't see that now because the number of veterans has dwindled uh, to such a point that most Americans don't know somebody that served in the military. And uh, to know the military is to, I, I firmly believe, love it. And, um, you know, if anything, I probably steered the kids towards other professional avenues, but they uh, were drawn to service as I was, and, and they're serving today. Well, thank you for your service, and thank you for coming back to Wisconsin. You could have retired anywhere, and really, you chose yeah. to come back to Wisconsin. Yeah, it was, a, again, as I said, a no-brainer. Uh, you know, our lifelong friends and family are here, and uh, we just love Wisconsin, all that Wisconsin offers, the fundamental values of Wisconsin. It was, uh, it was an easy pick. General, thank you. Thank you. It's hard to understate what a big deal this guy is. Brian Winsky, two-star general. He reported directly to David Petraeus, who is basically the guy in charge of the entire Iraq war. They were both in the 101st Airborne. That's who he reported directly to. He could have retired anywhere. As a matter of fact, he's right now the CEO of a big museum in Tennessee uh, dedicated to the Airborne. That's kind of what he did when he was retired, but he can do that remote, and he lives here. He decided to come back to Wisconsin because he says it's the best people, it's the best climate, it's the best place that for me and my wife to spend the rest of our lives. So he's here, and I love that. That's something to be proud of, and I love that you were charmed by how he referred to his family. Yeah, wasn't that a great answer? So talking about his wife and kids, he said, 
My wife is the love of my life. My children are the pride of my life. I thought that's such a great way to kind of really kind of sum it all up. And both kids, a daughter and a son, are officers in the Army. What great tribute that is to our military, that they saw the military life, they led it and lived it, and now they decided, yeah, that's what we're going to do, too, because it's be so good to our family. Too. Yeah, servant's heart, Brian Winsky. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. Time for Travel Wisconsin on Wisconsin's Afternoon News, sponsored by TravelWisconsin.com. Craig Trost is the Communication Director at the Wisconsin Department of Tourism, and he is with us this afternoon. Hey, Craig, good to catch up. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, man, you got it. So uh, when it comes to diners, we really got it covered in Wisconsin, don't we? You know, we really do. Uh, we really do. We've got a little bit of everything in Wisconsin, whether you're a, a seasonal diner or open year-round. We've got comfort food for days all over the state. You're about to make us hungry, uh, <laughs> starting with a very authentic experience. You're suggesting we head to the Delta Diner? You betcha. Delta Diner is like straight out of the, the TV show Happy Days. You sort of expect Arthur Fonzarelli and... and you know, Richie to be sitting outside. It's so cool. The classic looking <laughs> diner. It, they declare themselves the home of the unpretentious foodie. And they open for the season on April 1. You got to check this out. Norwegian cakes, omelets flipping, the sound of eggs frying. It is classic blue plate specials that can range from anything from Cajun red beans and rice to red eye biscuits and gravy. It is such a great little diner. And if you're visiting during the summer, they have two other experiences you can take in, right? They do. They've got the Tap Shack and Taste Buds. Both of them are right there on the property. The Tap Shack is an outdoor cook shack specializing in Caribbean jerk food, like jerk chicken, pork, and and fish, and my favorite, grilled pineapple. Uh, And Taste Buds is Delta Diner's coffee and ice cream shop. They also open uh, on Memorial Day weekend. Both of those open Memorial Day weekend. They've got hot coffee drinks, hand-dipped ice cream cones, Mm. and the diner's own merchandise, like spicy pickled garlic for sale. I think even Guy Fieri likes Delta Diner. Uh (laughs) High praise. I would bet he does. (laughs) (laughs) So that is an authentic diner experience at Delta Diner. What about a from-scratch meal at Harborview Cafe? Yeah, the Harborview Cafe in Pepin County, right along the Mississippi River. If you're taking a trip along the Wisconsin Great River Road, you have to stop in at the Harborview Cafe. Those those from-scratch meals change every day. They are the epitome of farm-to-table. So everything they make is from scratch, locally sourced, homemade soups and breads and seafoods and meat entrees, as well as show-stopping desserts. So when you walk in, you got to check out the chalkboard to find out what's on the menu that day, um, and, and they'll, they'll take care of you. And they also have a lot of, like, really cool, like, gluten-free options. A lot of folks are traveling with people with dietary restrictions these days, and they really, uh, they really take care of you in that regard as well. Craig Trost is with us on WTMJ. They've also got a pretty sweet museum there. Yeah, Laura Ingalls Wilder, um, the author of the children's books, Little House on the Prairie, turned into a very famous TV show right there, born in Pepin. The museum opens May 1, and you can learn all about Laura's life in the area, explore the rich history of Pepin, visit a replica 
of the log cabin she would have grown up in. It's a, it's a cute little uh, stop along the Great River Road. Craig, that is a wonderful discovery for me. I loved all the Little House on the Prairie books as a kid, reading those. And they talked a lot about Minnesota in those books, so I didn't really realize there were Wisconsin roots for Laura Ingalls Wilder. You know, I was born in Wisconsin and grew up in Minnesota, and I was tricked into thinking that that was a Minnesota thing until I came back here and discovered, <laughs> no, this is really a Wisconsin thing. You fell for it just like me. And then there's a place that I want <laughs> to know about called Little Fat Gretchens. Little Fat Gretchens is in Wapaka County. It's a, a cute little lunch spot right in Wapaka. They opened about 11 years ago, and when you walk in, you are just you are just slammed with the smell of fresh baked goods. It, you'll you'll notice it's a very colorful and cleverly decorated space. It's got those kind of classic blue and white checkered tablecloths on it in the on the inside. Super cool space in there, uh, and they they are just serving up pancakes like Grandma used to make them, homemade granola, Greek style omelets um, for lunch classic diner food, burgers, black bean dip, chipotle burger, savory sandwiches, wraps, very filling salads. But you definitely, while you're there, have to check out the house-made desserts and pies. They are showstoppers. Little Fat Gretchen's is also connected to an independently owned children's bookstore, so you can take the whole family, and when you're done, you can go read a book. I like the sound of that. For more information, check out TravelWisconsin.com. Craig Trost is the Travel Wisconsin Communication Director. Always good to catch up. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you. Have a great day. Tim Sheehy is the president of the Metropolitan Milwaukee Association of Commerce, and he is with us in the studio. Tim, good to see you. Thanks for being here. Good to be with you, John and Sandy. Uh, Electric vehicle discussion. Seems that battery manufacturing is going to take place down in Foxconn. Electric battery manufacturing, I should say. Factor fiction, is it going to happen, and can you prove it? Yeah, it's a good question. I think everybody at this point will believe it when it happens. <laughs> um, but if you look at what Foxconn has done to date, um, they've got about 1,000 people employed down there. Uh, they're making servers and server racks, and they've invested about $700 million in capital, and they have paid and are current on every uh, financial obligation that they have. They're paying about $17 million in property taxes. Um, so I, I think again, Foxconn, if you hadn't seen the, uh, trailer, you'd love the movie. Um, and I, I do think there's a good chance that they could be making batteries down there. If you looked at the site nationally, it sets up really well for that kind of manufacturing. But again, given the track record, um, we'll, we'll wait to see the batteries roll off the line before I say yes. Fingers crossed. Speaking of batteries, uh, electric vehicles in the news today, because the Milwaukee Common Council unanimously voted to make sure that all the future vehicles of the city of Milwaukee will be electric. If they have to purchase new ones, they have to be electric or hybrid. And this also ties in with money that was from the federal government last year for more charging stations around the state. And as we look to attract more and more people to the city itself, where do you envision charging stations in the city of Milwaukee? Yeah, I think the question is easier to answer for the city because they could put the charging stations in where the vehicles come back at night. So if you're DPW and stuff, you could charge where you come back at night. Um, I, I think it was down at South by Southwest. I saw some really interesting new technology that allows homeowners to put out, almost like you would a mailbox, a charging station, and then they get paid uh, for the charging. Oh. So with an incentive like that, you could see a lot more people interested in putting charging stations out. 
but um, they'll begin to develop around the city, um, and I think it's a great uh, great possibility for us. That could be a revenue stream, Sandy. You and I could get a bunch of these at our house. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> or I wonder if parking lots could be more equipped yeah. with them. Absolutely. You know, just as we're continuing to look for you know, people who want to drive vehicles. Because normally I see charging stations, and they're in the back of a Meyer parking lot, you know, someplace yep. where there's a lot, a lot of space. No, parking garages are a great idea, and I think I've seen those in other cities where they have charging stations and parking garages so you know you can come there and, and get a charge. Uh, five potential office buildings could lead to big increase in downtown apartments. Is this a fad or trend? What are, what are we thinking about this? I, I think it's a trend, and I want to credit Tom Dakin for the article on this. But uh, if you look at 100 East, which is already on the block for 350 apartments, you look at the old M&I building, you look at AT&T, that building, and you look at Johnson Controls. Together, I think that's about a million square feet Wow. that could develop into apartments. So to me, that's more than a fad. That's a trend uh, that's developing as commercial properties begin to open themselves up to um, rental or condo units um, and another way to really enrich the livability of the city. We talk about how important it is to fly out of Milwaukee if we want to have an improving and more robust Milwaukee airport. Uh, did you see they are ready for spring break? Lots and lots of extra flights <laughs> being added in the next week. Uh, lots to Florida, Orlando, 10 flights, Fort Myers, six flights, uh, Phoenix, six flights, Tampa, five flights, Fort Lauderdale, Cancun, Sarasota, Montego Bay, Jamaica. This peak departure day, Saturday, more than 12,000 people flying on 34 nonstop flights for some warm weather spring break. That sounds like good news. It is good news. And as a matter of fact, I just came back uh, two days ago from Mexico. Um, and you know, Mitchell is a great, Mitchell Field's a great asset to have. And spring break is a time, as I always say, um, when you're traveling, if you can't find a badger hat somewhere warm, uh, you're just not looking, uh, <laughs> because this is a state that travels well for good reason, uh, because of the winter months that we have. And so having Mitchell Airport add those flights to accommodate people who want to go get a little warmth before, um, baseball season starts, it's a great opportunity. Tim, what kind of shoes are you wearing? I can't, I can't see over there. I'm tennis shoes. Your tennis shoes today? I'm on tennis shoes. Today. All right, I'm wearing penny loafers. Here's why I asked the question. <laughs> I'm curious. Where are you? Like, where are we going with this? There's a Thank very God interesting. I have shoes on. <laughs> yeah, I am too. It's just flip-flops. down the hall. Thank you for. We're just shoes. talking about vacation. Maybe you came back from Mexico wearing flip flops. You know. Sales of athletic shoes for men have slowed. Sales of slippers are dropping off the face of the earth, and dress shoes. Sales of dress shoes are skyrocketing for men as people return to the workplace. I'm amazed at these indicators that we get from time to time about hybrid work at home life balance. But you're you're in the office, but you're still wearing tennis shoes. Did you know, it change? For, did the way you dress change with the pandemic dramatically? And I think it's due to the fact that um, on days where I have meetings out of the office. I'll wear dress shoes and a sport coat on days when it's Zooming all day in the office. I won't. And I will tell you, this last two years is the first time in 30 years I've ever worn tennis shoes to work. Um, you know, <laughs> Allen Edmonds, tie shoes. Right. Just book it. Um, and so I, I see it's changed, and it's changed for, um, I think, other business people. And not that it's a great sample, but in South by Southwest, I don't think I saw anything but tennis shoes. How often do you wear a tie? These days, if you take the a month, I wore a tie every day for thirty years, yeah. and since the pandemic, 
um, I've probably worn a tie four times. That's amazing. Even now when you travel for business, Even it's just travel, not the, the thing anymore, right? I'll wear a sport coat, a collared shirt. That's what people are wearing. Very rarely do I wear a tie anymore. Wow, it's serious if you see Sheehy in a tie. <laughs> and a fedora. Yes, yes. Let's kick it up all the way. Oh, yeah. That'd look good. Oh, you yeah. look good in a fedora. All right, uh, Tim's good news of the week. What do you got? Yeah, the best news of the week is that um, for the first time since the pandemic, we've recovered 85% of the jobs we lost. So pre-pandemic, we were at 871,000 jobs in Metro Milwaukee. Today, we're at 853. So that's great news. And the other piece of great news I have is tomorrow, Bartolotta celebrates their 30th anniversary. And great cities need great restaurants, and we've got one in Bartolotta's. They sure do. Great points. Thank you, Tim. Tim Sheehy is the president of the Metropolitan Milwaukee Association of Commerce, and he's wearing tennis shoes. Thank you, Tim.